Should we kick it, kids? Yeah, let's do it. Kick it. This is the True North Collective podcast, a gathering of unsugarcoated conversations on authenticity, created by the real-life documentation of everyday humans fearlessly finding their true north. Welcome to season three of the podcast. Hi, I'm Rachel. The best sunglasses I ever owned have been my solar shields. We call my new hairstyle antennas. And my new favorite hobby is dumping the dump of my RV. Hi, I'm Janelle. Big box stores overwhelm me. I put my clothes on inside out frequently and I miss catching fireflies. Hi, I'm Seth. I still keep a journal. Uh, My favorite color is red and I love hazy IPAs. And we are your host of the True North Collective podcast. Cool. Love. Okay, I found it. Grisette. Okay. Okay. You ever heard it? You ever heard of that? I have not. No. I hadn't either. It was, it was decent. It was pretty light. Is this too much light coming in from over here? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> We've literally never videoed. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. We're easy. We don't don't make it hard. Dumping the dump. I love dumping the dump. There's something really systematic about it that like, you got to put the gloves on and then you do this part and then this part and this goes into here. And then when you're done, it goes into that tube and then you take the gloves off and you clean your hands. It's like, I just... I don't know. Dylan's like, what is wrong with you? I'm like, I don't know. I like, like and we watched all the like worst case scenario videos when we were like going to get the RV because I was super nervous about it. So we just watched Mm -hmm. the most atrocious, terrible dumps of the dumps ever. Is that like just like shit going everywhere? Is that yeah? It just doesn't bother me. I don't know why at, uh, at all. Oh. Like at all, it doesn't bother me. That's good. I don't know. I clean up dog shit all the time, but I feel like human shit is like a whole. Different... I mean, I'm not grabbing it. Like I'm literally just like holding a tube down. As long as I get the the like things in place, it's like this beautiful system. It just does exactly what it's supposed to. So I'll eventually have to teach me your ways. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) give it six months. Maybe I'll change my mind. But so far, (laughs) so far, most of the dump stations have been really clean. That's where I think I'd probably get a little squirrely is if like I took the cap off and it was just like, I don't know, or like shits are just everywhere. And I was just like, oh, put my hand in. You know, like, yeah, so we'll see. When I was at Coachella last year and I went into a porta potty, have I ever told this story? No, but I'm oh really excited. God. <laughs> I walked into a porta potty and there was fucking shit on the ceiling of the porta potty. How does that happen? Like everywhere. It was like someone dug in the porta potty and just like slung everywhere. I was, I couldn't. I was like, no, no. It's just, I, and I almost walked in it. It was like partially dark, you know, this like so fucked up. The thing, the thing that's crazy is when you walk into those porter potties that are that disgusting, but they don't smell. And then I'm like, oh, it definitely smells. That, that, that was like the <laughs> only key because it was very dark. Like it was getting very dark, and I was like, oh, <laughs> what's happening? You could just like smear. Like I don't. Dude, when I was in advertising, this is so gross. When I was in advertising, I mean, 
there's people like doing, you know, they would do drugs and stuff. And we had, um, there's some like big office party. We had, um, God, this was going to be one of my random facts is I'm really bad at remembering like famous people's names and band names, but it's like a famous rapper. And, um, so afterwards, some people like went back to the office and when people went back to work the next morning or whenever it was, some, somebody had just take, taken a shit and just smeared their poop all over the office. Adults. Mm-hmm. What the fuck? Like, and I was I, like, okay, we're, we work in advertising. So everybody's getting paid like a decent amount of money. Like what's happening? They must run on drugs. I mean, they like were. that's like they the for only. sure. They yeah. for sure were on drugs. That's the only. Yeah. Well, it's either, either that or they're fifty-one fifty. They're crazy. <laughs> well, that that is also possible <laughs> in advertising. It's, it's pretty. It is a crazy industry. I can't believe I lasted as long as I did. Oh, that's yeah. Wild. This is good. Good start to the podcast. Poop. We haven't talked. We haven't oh. talked about poop in a long time. It was. I was just editing Lauren's episode earlier. We hadn't talked about the Bachelor in a long time. We covered that in that episode. We haven't talked about poop in a long time. Yeah, we got some good stuff going on. Look at us. Seth, you got any good poop stories? <laughs> no, just my dogs. Uh, that's the only poop I get to deal with. Uh, yeah. What's what the that? weirdest thing your dog ever pooped out? Oh my god, a whole a whole toy. Oh, a whole, a whole like three, four inch toy. Just uh. he just ate it. It said, "I have a, I have a pit bull," and it said that this toy is supposed to last. It's a durable chewer. It didn't even last five minutes, and he just ate the whole thing. Uh. This is gonna be fun. So it I took mean, half, and he just pooped it out on the middle of the street as I was walking across the crosswalk, <laughs> and it was just a big yellow chicken toy. Did it come out easily, or was it was it a struggle? He he stopped and had to do this squat and stop. Then out, and I was like, "Do I clean this up in the middle of the street while well, it's a green light?" No, nah, I don't know about that. <laughs> I did, but I didn't want to. <laughs> oh, the joys of being a dog owner. Yeah, I guess another one that you got me going. I I am forced <laughs> to go visit. Uh, uh, county jail last year for a little bit and as soon as i walked in i got hit on by a guy that was smearing his shit all over the windows no yeah how do you hit on somebody while you're smearing shit on a window i don't know he's a hispanic gentleman who was yelling at me through the vents and then i was getting transferred from the holding cell over and he smeared his shit and was showing his ass and balls to everybody that was in the holding cell. Wow. I just, I was like, I'm not, I'm. Yeah. No. I I can't, I can't even imagine. Yeah, you don't want it. Welcome. (laughs) Yeah. This is Monterey. Have fun. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh, that was wild. Are you open to talking about your journal? Of course. So what has kept you wanting to keep the journal for this long? Um, so I, I basically started when I was like sixth, seventh grade, and I just started off with a paragraph a day. And it ha- it's not an everyday thing, um, but it's definitely a weekly thing. And I just kind of talk about to myself, uh, mostly it's dreams. I like to keep track of my dreams because I now dream a lot. Um, but I just, 
kind of keep track of the journeys that I've had, um, the depression, the, the ex-girlfriends, and I'll go back to it every once in a while and be like, all right, so it's 2018 and I'm still thinking the same way I did in 2012. There's, there's, there's something wrong with that, wrong or right with that. Um, so it's kind of, for me, it's, if I, I mean, I'm not a, I don't, I'm not in a rush to die anymore, but if I ever die, this is kind of something that people can go back to. And if they didn't know me as well as I, my friends know me, this, this is an end to Seth's life. So I would hope at one point in time, it, I don't, I don't, I, I don't know if I want a book or what I want out of it, but I, I probably have 10 or 11 journals total. And if I ever had a fire, earthquake, or tsunami, they're all wrapped in double Ziploc bags, and it would be one thing that I would probably grab. So That's cool. I yeah. love that. I, uh, I'm, I'm not a, I don't know what the proper word is, but I collect magazines, and I cut words out, and I put sayings or words into my journal as well. That's what I do! Oh, yeah. A collager. Yeah, so I... I, I mean, that's what I call it interesting interesting journals and i showed one of my buddies the other day because he's going through hardcore depression and i said you should keep a journal keep track of it and he looked at mine and he was like you're like one of those stalker people that send letters to people and i was like no <laughs> ransom, ransom notes? yeah exactly ransom letter <laughs> yes. that's what my journal looks like so but I feel like- I like it. it's a story into seth that's really cool. I I love that that comes up because that's not even a thing anymore because people can just type shit. Like, wasn't that people used to do ransom notes like that when they didn't want to, like, handwrite things? Yeah, absolutely. Back in the day. <laughs> I do a lot of talking to my text messages, but I don't get the same feeling out of it. I'd rather handwrite it and then put saying or clippings next to it, the, the feelings that I was feeling at that moment. Totally. Someone asked me that the other day because I have a journal that I write in basically every day now. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I'm like trying to keep this door open because it's so hot in here. Dogs are going to love it. Um, but they asked me, they're like, do you type it or do you write it? I was like, oh, I totally write it. But they're like, don't you worry that someone's going like, to break into it? I'm like, no, <laughs> it's not like I'm murdering people here writing about it. Like, what, are they going to read about my feelings? <laughs> oh, shoot. But, yeah. When I worked in advertising <clears throat> at another agency, um, it was like I was really struggling with it. It was kind of towards the tail end of like me. It was like, I think I... It was just about to turn 30. I was just like, I, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, this doesn't feel like my heart and soul, but I, I hadn't really like been able to formulate anything beyond just like something feels wrong and I don't know what I'm supposed to do with it. So during the day, I would, and I can't remember what I called it, but I had this folder that just had these like really dark, like during the day, I just like need to like get it out. So I would just like all anything that I was just like, and, and some of it was pretty dark. and they had a break in and they stole my computer and my, <laughs> I remember I was like, Oh shit. They're going to like, they're going to find this and be like, this bitch needs help. Like needs some serious help. 
Um, but I, you know, I never got it back or anything. But then after that, that's why I was like, okay, I'm just gonna get an actual journal. And that's when I stopped typing anything up because I was just like, no, I do not really. I mean, if anyone got it, it's not like the end of the world or anything. But there is something to the the somatic nature of actually like even my handwriting sometimes changes depending on oh, yeah. what's going on, and it can be quite an indicator of kind of where I am. So. I go from cursive to print all the time. Yeah. Cursive? Yeah. What's that? I, you know, I was just going to say, <laughs> apparently they don't teach kids that anymore in school. You yeah. never learned cursive? No, no I learned cursive. But kids <laughs> these days didn't learn cursive. Oh, I my gosh. Cursive. Penmanship. Yeah. My mom, my mom was an English teacher when I was young. So when we would get in trouble or whatever, she would literally hand us a book and we would have to write an essay or a synopsis of what we read. Oh, damn. <laughs> you know what's funny? That would not be a punishment for me now. But, not you now? Know, I, yeah, now I'd be like, oh, all right. <laughs> Let's write an essay. Well, it's like critical thinking around a book, like reading yeah. a book. When do I ever, you know, I have to like jam that kind of stuff into my life so much that it's like that would be like oh sweet I get to actually read some new information and critically think about it that's amazing that I choose that you choose <laughs> yes yes that you choose yeah my my middle name is Emerson and so my mom was one of my mom's favorite people is Ralph Waldo Emerson I had to read a lot of Aristotle and Socrates back in the day and Plato and when you're 12 years old it's like I don't get it. I don't understand it. But now I love it. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny how that works. It is. Hey, everyone. We are excited to announce that Sarah Phillip, founder of Abundalicious, who is on the podcast back season one, episode five, where we talked all about IBS and gas station trade shows. That was so long ago. Um, but Sarah's up to some really cool things. She's currently offering a course designed for wellness coaches and trainers who would like to start coaching remotely, but they might not be sure where to start. The course is designed to guide you through fundamentals, answering your questions, and giving you the confidence to move forward while remote programming. Pre-sales for this course start August 1st, and we'll leave a link in the bio to sign up if you're interested. So make sure to check that out. Sarah will help you find your ideal clients, price your program, recommend supplements, and put yourself out there with confidence. All right, back to the podcast. Shall we? Oh yeah, go introduce. Yeah, I was going to introduce our extra voice on the podcast. So we are welcoming Seth Souza to the podcast. And Seth is my backpacking and adventure buddy and is into all things outdoor from hiking, backpacking, trail running, snowboarding, mountain biking, obstacle course racing, racing, skydiving, and is also building a business to support people that are struggling with their mental health, to encourage them to get outside, to go in nature, go on hikes. I feel like I was once again patient zero, like Rachel was one of your first life coaching people. I feel like Seth, I don't know, <laughs> one of your first experiments on these backpacking trips, um, but super knowledgeable in nature, knows all the plants, knows how to keep you safe. Um, and we've had some really great conversations on our backpacking trips and our hikes. So I am excited to welcome Seth to the podcast. 
Hello guys. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so I'm going to like start out with a heavy, well, maybe not a heavy hitter, but you sent me some information in your bio and I'm curious, but you said that I never thought I would make it this long and I've been in a rush to die most of my life, but now I just want to live as much as possible. Yeah. Like kick it off there. I normally like, how'd you get here? But I feel like that is kind of, how did you get here knowing that that is a part of it? Um, yeah. I mean, so I've lived a long life already, I feel like, but I was, when I was younger, when I was teenager, to about 20, I would drive 150 miles an hour, literally in a car, or 120 towards a semi-truck and to see in the, lo- in the wrong lane to see how long their skid marks were. Um, I would stand on the edges of cliffs ready to go. Um, been sky- I went skydiving the day before I turned 21 at 18,000 feet because I never thought I'd make it to 21. So I figured if I'm going to die, it better be before I'm 21. Um, so I just kind of was always in a rush to, to go. And I don't know if it has anything to do with the music I listened to when I was younger. Tupac's one of my biggest people I've ever listened to for, for music. And, you know, he was, he lived a lot, a lot in his 25 years. And I felt like I was never going to make 21, let alone 25. I'm 39 now. I'm like, how the hell did I make it this far? And just in this last three years has been a transformation for me of wanting to live um, and to enjoy every single minute that I have. And it's been awesome to like, a lot of people think that I'm crazy because I, I don't, I don't sit. I really don't like to sit or stop. I'd rather be going. And it's like, Janelle kind of knows we'll get done with one adventure. Well, what's next? Like I want, what's next? Let's do something. Let's do something else. Uh, We're not promised anything. And yesterday was actually a, reawakening for myself I got into a bad bicycle accident in the morning and I was riding my bike to work which I do every day and I I I normally it's bad to say but I normally cross the road from one side to the other I look for traffic but I normally just cross over and don't wait for lights or any of that I do not wear a helmet on the road because I hate helmets with a passion and so I I waited this time I got into the left lane for turning but I didn't I was in the wrong gear and when I went to pedal next I stepped too hard and my left foot went in between the bike frame and I ended up flipping over the bike and it was on a highway where cars are going 55 miles an hour and I just laid on the ground for a few seconds which seemed like eternity and I was fucked up I I screwed up my shoulder my hip my knee both my ankles my wrist and I scared all the people around me in cars And so I had an older lady in her late seventies stop and she made me sit in her car and I said, I'm fine. I'm fine. It's just going to take me a few minutes. And then a second lady showed up and she took my bike from the side of the road and put it into her car. She said, I'm driving you wherever you need to go. And I was like, no, I'm good. I'm just a few miles away. And she's like, just a few miles. I wouldn't even ride a mile if you paid me. Then a third lady stopped and she ended up giving me a water bottle. And, um, they, the, the second lady took me to work and I got to work and I'm bleeding everywhere and I tore my shirt. Anyways, long story short, it was, it sucked. And it was a realization of we're not promised the next minute. So when people ask, why do I do what I do when I do it? It's, I don't know if I can make it home today. 
So that, that's kind of where I'm at right now is just to live as much as I can while I have the, the time. If you want to live as much as you can, how come you don't wear a helmet? I, I, I don't wear, the only time I will ever wear a helmet is if I'm mountain biking downhill or if I'm on a motorcycle. Um, I, I, I don't like, I don't like helmets. I hate them. Even when I snowboard, my whole, I have two different groups of people I snowboard with and I'm the only person that doesn't wear a helmet. And we go off big jumps. We snowboard in between trees. Uh, I have eight concussions in my life and I'm, I'm just, I'm still not ready to wear a helmet. Is it just like the, is there like a thrill element to it? No, no. You just don't like the containment? I, it, yeah, yeah. I don't like any, I don't like anything on my head or face. Yeah. Wearing sunglasses, I don't like it. What uh, happens, what happens to you, to your psyche when you have to be covered? I feel kind of shut off. Yeah. From? Myself, from the surroundings, yeah. from the air. Yeah. Yeah, there, um, uh, something was coming up when you were talking around, um, I've talked to some people who also just like didn't think that they were going to make it very long and didn't want to be around and they have an ability to be connected to a lot more uh, than what is just in this 3D reality. And so I was curious if um, maybe the helmet makes you feel like disconnected from that or something. I don't know. It kind of does. Yeah, I, I get asked all the time. Uh, my therapist the other day was kind of not making fun of me, but he's like, you still not wearing a helmet? And I said, if they're going to hit me on the road, they better kill me. Like, I'm not, because I get asked all the time, like, are you scared to ride on the road? And I'm like, <laughs> scared to ride on the road? Like, no, I'm not scared one bit of a car. If they, you know, if they hit me, they better kill me. And then the next day I get in, a, in an accident. I texted him yesterday and he's like, no, you didn't. I'm like, <clears throat> yeah, I sure did. And I sent him all the pictures of my cuts. And I was like, yep, sure did. But I was back at it this morning at 6.30 this morning. I was back out riding the bike. No helmet. What was, what was the shift from you not wanting to be alive to wanting to be alive? Can you like pinpoint it? Yeah, I can actually. Um, I, I just... My whole, tw I, I got in a lot of trouble when I was younger. Um, so my parents broke up when I was 17. My dad turned gay and moved away with his partner, San Francisco, and took, my mom took my brother to Colorado. And so my junior and senior year of high school was uh, me by myself, independent studies, had my own job, had my own car, lived life in the way that I thought it should be at the time. And I ended up fucking up a lot. I got in a lot of trouble, and so I spent until I was about 26 years old on felony probation. Um, couldn't do much, and so I don't think I really became an adult until I was 28. And uh, I, I was good then, but I went through different relationships, and two of which made me get into really bad depression after we broke up, uh, to the point where I didn't want to get off the couch. Um, getting a glass of water out of the fridge was too much work. I still functioned and went to work but I was solemn and down and quiet and sad. I mean, every radio song I swear they made for me at the time. And it wasn't until uh, Lauren was my main breakup and she took the dog we had together. We had a little blue nose pity named Rhino for four years. And when she broke up with me, that was, that was, the, that was the bottom. That was, um, that was just in 2014, 15. 
I would stand at the edge of the cliff every day at work and just be like, would anybody care? Would anybody remember? What would they remember? What, who, you know, I've been to a lot of funerals, unfortunately, in my life. So it's kind of like, what would the picture show look like? What does the after party look like? Um, and then I quickly, I got together with a new girl at the time and I, I dubbed her Miss Awesome is what her nickname was because she was, she was too good. And I knew it was too good, but I kind of pressured her a little bit because I already felt like I had just, I went from a long-term relationship to a short-term relationship and thought I was in a long-term relationship. So she quickly broke up with me after seven months. And so I kind of got thrown back into depression again. And that, that lasted about a month or two. And after that, it's been up. It's been nothing but up. I'm not down. I'm not sad. Um, I got into trouble in 2018 again, unfortunately. And so, um, well, the incident happened in 2018, but I didn't get in trouble till 2019. So 2018 was the best year of my life by far. 2019 was a year of humbleness, um, waiting, anxiety, waiting for the court's answers. Uh, this year, I'm back happy again. I'm in this whole coronavirus. I couldn't give two shits about it. I've been on eight backpacking trips. I'm hiking every single day. I'm on the beach with the dogs. I got a phenomenal job now after 16 years of being at a crap job. Um, so I'm happy. And I want to help other people show them that I, you can be happy. And for me, nature is my happiness. Um, when I'm hiking, backpacking, trail running, biking, snowboarding, skydiving, whatever, I don't think about what Trump's saying or you know, whatever the hell is going on at that point in time. I just want to live. And uh, I got thrown into therapy, not by choice, but my guy is really cool. And so I told him that I had started my own business um, on the side. And he offered me an awesome deal and said, as soon as I'm done with therapy, that he'll give me his client's list and start taking them on nature therapy walks. And uh, that kind of goes hand in hand with what I want because I know a lot of introverts. I know a lot of depressed people, a lot of sad people. And I kind of, not, I don't know how the proper wording is, but I didn't choose to help them, but I help people just by talking is what I'm being told. So if I can share my story, um, then that's all I really want to do and be remembered by is to help one person. So that, that's kind of where I'm at right now. Question for you. What you got? When you were in those states of depression, what pulled you through? Yeah. Uh, my mom was huge, um, and two of my good friends really helped. They kept telling me and acknowledging how my self-worth um, to keep pulling through, that this wasn't the end. These were just a few bad days, dark days. And I didn't believe them at the time. I just kind of one word answered them. And uh, over the time, I mean, because with the whole Lauren thing, that was shit. That was probably almost a full year of depression. Uh, it was. It was a lot. It, for me, I say wasted time. My therapist says it was a rebuilding time. Um, I still consider it kind of wasted time. But um, my mom is my mom is huge. I mean, the, if a morning goes by that she doesn't text me, how are you doing? Good morning. Uh, there's there's something wrong. Um, even the, this last year, I had to do 15 days in jail. She knew that I was in jail, and she still texts me every day. 
So she was big. Uh, my buddy that li I live in a, a granny unit behind my best friend's house, he did everything for me. And so he was constantly helping me as well. And I just, I didn't realize how big of a circle of friends I had that came out of the woodworks. I unfortunately was using social media at that time to, now I realize, didn't realize then, to reach out. I was posting a bunch of posts and basically I was asking for help. Um, and I look back and I'm like, whew, damn. Like when I read people that post the same thing I was posting at that time, I'm like, all right, so I got to help this guy. Like, I, I need to say something like, tell him, you know, if it's a girl, they're beautiful. Or if it's a guy, like, you got so much more, you got kids, you got, you're good at this. And just try to reassure people of their own self-worth. Because um, I've, I've, I've been there a couple times now. And I never want to go back. Do you think it has helped to be able to acknowledge the reality versus the reality of like, I was reaching out for help. I wasn't coming from a place of self-worth. Um, was, do you think it's helpful to like own that? Yes, you have to, you have to. And um, this last year, like I said, it was a humbling year, but I was ready for it. I was ready for the change. And I think that's what a lot of people need to realize is, if you want to change, you have to be ready for it. You can't just talk about it and keep circling around and talking about it. You got to be ready to, to be humbled. You got to be ready to be told that you're wrong. You got to be ready to, to just acknowledge the fact that I'm not 100% right all the time. And I always had these um, stories in my head that it had to be that way. And it's, it, it can't be that way. You know, I wasn't ready like, if I said, all right, you know, we're going on this backpacking trip. We're going 10 miles. We're going to do this night. We're going to do this day. And if it didn't happen, I had those unreasonable expectations. And I, I, I was down. And I didn't realize that until uh, I read a book from Dan Harris called 10% Happier. And so I read this. Have you read that one? I have, yeah. 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 So the part that got me in that book was he was sitting there with a new newscaster and she went off script and his face just dropped. His wife and his brother called him on it and said, dude, we saw your face. You just went like that. And he didn't realize it at all. And that's kind of what prompted him to change. And when I read that, I was like, that's been me for so long. Like I got told that I worked at a job for 16 years and I was one of the bosses and people that worked for me thought that I was amazing. The people that worked around me thought that I was unapproachable. And it's because my work ethic is you come to work to work. I don't screw around. If you're going to screw around, go home, or I'm just not going to talk to you. And I did that for so long, and it wasn't right. Yeah. So I've changed it a lot. <laughs> All very, very relatable. I know for me, a lot of times on social media, too, if I'm posting a lot it's typically because I'm lonely so it's kind of our, our relationship with social media sometimes it's interesting how um it's not always what it seems to be I mean I've even like I've been posting a bunch of pictures right now that I think are beautiful and I love them I'm going to sharing them and people are like oh it looks like you've been having a great quarantine I'm like quarantine has not been great <laughs> but I mean I've been doing these really beautiful things and 
there's a lot of other stuff going on. So it's definitely like relatable and, and feeling the lack of connection. And I have a strong group of friends now that I can also reach out to, but I've definitely been there too, where like even years prior where I would just use social media as an outlet because I was just like craving connection and didn't have anywhere to get it. That was very hit for me. Yep. Yeah. And I think it's, I always find it so like you hear the cliche or the the quips and everything, but just like when you own where you're at, the messiest, the raw, the stuff that you're like, this is going to potentially scare people away. I have found when I actually own it, not the story that I'm trying to curate to make, you know, everybody feel okay. But when I actually own where I am, there is like a, a surrender um, to it. I, I don't really know what, but I'm, I'm trying to figure out because when I do actually drop into that place, people show up differently for me um, than when I'm trying to like, I might be saying the story, but I'm trying to spin it in a way or I'm trying to like, I don't know, not own the fact that I just feel like I'm not worth assault. And when I can actually just own it, there's a simplicity to it. Um, and I've found that the people in my life actually do show up, um, which I hadn't experienced for a very long time because I had not been able to actually just own it. Um, the, so people that, that, the people that matter, right? For sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. How? Yeah, it's go ahead, Joe. I was just saying, Rachel and I have had this conversation, I'm sort of curious because it's something that I struggle with of how to tell my story, not feeling strong enough sometimes to tell it. Um, probably a lot because I haven't fully accepted it yet. So that's something I'm sitting in right now. Um, but we've talked about the I think there's beauty in sharing your story and then there's the other side of keeping it maybe not for yourself, but, or maybe for yourself or just for the people close around you. And I think it's a, it's hard to know, or at least I'm trying to navigate when does it benefit me to share it and when does it not. And I know that I can only answer that question. It's my own truth, but I'm curious <laughs> for both of you, if you have any thoughts on um, sharing your story versus keeping it to yourself. Um, I share too. I don't know if I share too much. I, I don't, I have a tattoo hard on my sleeve. Uh, I, I talk to everybody about everything. I don't, I, if they're going to judge me, they're going to judge me. I don't, I don't care anymore. I mean, even the girl that picked me up on the ride the other day, she asked why I was riding, and I just flat out said, oh, I got in trouble last year, and I can't drive right now. And she goes, oh, really? There's, there's, there's a lot more to talk about than we have time to talk about. And I said, yeah, I, if you ever want to meet up and go for a hike or do something, she's like, well, I just got married, and I have a kid that's three months old, and I was like, I'll take you and your husband out for a hike. I don't care. Like, it's not about you. It's... I talk a lot. I don't care. You could be the cashier at California Fresh. You could be the gas attendant at the, at the gas place. Uh, anywhere I go, I talk. And if I feel the vibe with that person, I'll open up it all. And I know it, it's it's the right thing to do is to talk with people because a lot of people, like you're saying, you know, they're not ready. Some people aren't ready to talk about stuff or to acknowledge it. 
But if they hear it from someone else, it might be one of those oh shit moments where I'm not the only one. And so that's kind of where I, that's why I talk about everything to everybody. Like I've worked menial jobs at KFC. I've been a graveyard attendant. I've been a cashier. I've been customer service. Like I've done everything. And that one person that might say hi to you that day or start a cup of conversation, you might remember it for a few months and it might be the startup of something else. So, yeah. Yeah. I would say my, I agree. I tend to be an oversharer as, or I don't know. You didn't say you were an oversharer. I have tended to be an oversharer myself. <laughs> um, and I have learned through the years, and, and that's probably where the question's coming from, Janelle, just as you, like, I would say, I tend to be the one that's like, bleh, bleh, like, here's all of it. And then in hindsight, I might feel like, I don't know if that person, if I was ready for that person to own that part of my story, because I'm still learning to own that. And in my relationship, um, he definitely keeps things a lot more close. Um, and so I've learned from him too, the value of being thoughtful and on the win and, and, and trusting yourself. Um, and the more that I am comfortable with my story, um, the less it matters. The, it's, so it's interesting. I am an overshare. And that actually, I think at one point came from a place of like, accept me, accept me, accept me, accept me. If I put it all out there, I tell you up front, all of this about me, you're either going to reject me right away and it's going to get it over with right away, or you're going to accept that knowing it. And so I'll be safe. And so it was like a safe a survival mechanism. And I didn't know it at the time, but um, I can see that now. And then as I started to realize like that I was just being really flagrant with my story and the way that I was telling the story was not for me. I was sharing it in a way to get certain responses to, um, to elicit validation. Um, I, I was definitely curating things to curate my life, what I thought I wanted to hear, what I thought I wanted to experience. And it was all vapid, not all vapid, but it was all very surface level. It, it was deep, deep stories, but it was coming from a surface level place. And so therefore I experienced surface level around it and that sucked. Um, and so I really pulled it in and I had to relearn when I share and how much I share. But then as I'm kind of coming around this bend, cause I'm in my late thirties too, um, when I'm coming, as I'm coming around this bend, it's, I'm learning how to own my story and share it in a way that's mine. And from a place of, you know, to be cliche, radical acceptance or more radically accepting than ever before. And from that place, I actually am not paying attention to how much, if I'm sharing too much or too little, it kind of doesn't really matter. It's like, I'm sharing it from my heart, whatever comes out at that moment, I trust it and I'm not attached. I don't really care what anyone thinks about it for the most part. I like, I definitely do sometimes still care, but, um, in the comparison of my life, like I care way less than ever before. And so therefore I'm not trying to pay attention to how much I'm sharing or not sharing. It's just, it is what it is and I'm cool with it. And yeah, thanks for the question. I really haven't thought about it in a while. 
Yeah, there was a, a quote from the angry therapist <laughs> and it hit hard for me too. He said, uh, when we don't listen to our own truth, we don't know our own story or we, sorry, we don't own our own story. They do. So if you want to write your story, start listening to what's stirring within. I feel like that is where I'm at right now. I'm like, I don't, I haven't been listening fully to my truth. So there's a lot of parts of my story that like, even when we, we think about it, like we use the Steve job, Steve job reference about the dots and looking back and seeing where you've come. And I'm like, what the, like, what are my dots? I don't even know. Like I haven't even fully owned that yet. So when I was preparing for this conversation, I mean, I still didn't put a ton of thought into what those dots would be. Um, but the process of even just understanding that I'm not quite sure what those are, or I haven't owned them yet. Um, and I think a lot of that is also just due to minimizing my own experiences too, of like, Oh, it wasn't that big of a deal. Like that happened to you. It wasn't that big of a deal. And I mean, there's pros and cons to that, right. Of accepting it and moving on and not constantly, um, putting yourself back into to past situations, but at the same time, it's not coming from a place of acceptance. I feel like it's coming from a place of, of shame and like not wanting to accept it. It's just like, we'll put that in the bedroom closet on the top shelf in the back and we're not going to deal with it. Um, and so I've just been, that's like where I've been at with my story. And that's okay too, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. It's like, there's no right or wrong way to do this. And there's so much that we don't know. And so, I don't know, I found really being able to like practice not judging myself and just like, yeah, so this is the hand, the cards I was dealt. And at that point in my life, that's how I handled it. And I don't know, like we can make a lot of meaning out of why I put that one thing in the closet until I decided today that it was going to come out. And now I'm not living because I'm so worried about why I put it in that corner versus this corner. And if I can just trust that it needed to be in that corner until it wasn't. And I don't know, for me, that has been really freeing and just, or when I can remember that it's very freeing to just be able to let it unfold almost for me as much as it is for the world. Cause yeah. Yeah. I mean, the key word for that is just gotta be ready for it. Yeah. It's interesting as we're talking about this because I, um, so Seth, I don't know if you know this, but I had cancer when I was 14 and 15 and for some of the drugs that you get, you get uh, memory loss. And so, um, it's interesting. I hadn't thought about this until just now that I've been really, really critical of myself for curating a specific story around me having cancer that makes other people feel comfortable. But to be honest, I don't really even, there's so much of it that I don't remember that I think it's been, there's been a disassociation to that time. And there's not a lot of photos from it because I wouldn't let my mom take photos. But the few that I do have it does kind of feel like this made up time. Um, and the more that I've started to like, you know, I meditate a lot and I have definitely realized that one of my values is spirituality and being in nature connects me to that. So the more that I connect with that part of myself and I get curious about that time in my life, ask 
specs are, are becoming more there, but I mean, to not really know, it makes sense that it would be easier to make something up and to, if I was going to make something up, why wouldn't I make it up that I was this big hero? Like, yeah, I, you know, so it actually does make a lot of sense. I never thought about that till just now either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, the other thing that was coming up for me while you were talking earlier, actually, Seth, was I was trying to like scroll through my phone. Um, do you know Duncan Trussell? I, the name sounds familiar, but I couldn't, I couldn't tell you anything about he's him. He's like my, I'm obsessed with him. Uh, he, <laughs> <laughs> he's kind of crazy, but he has this podcast right now and he um, has gotten it. So historically, he's been really into psychedelics and reaching altered states of consciousness through psychedelics. But recently he has been very much into the world of meditation um, as a way to reach those altered states. And so it's been really cool to hear him be on that journey. Anyways, the episode I was listening to today was with his meditation teacher and they were talking about a conversation that um, his meditation teacher had with, with, some goo, some like high up guy while he was learning. And in his student group, they'd asked the guy, um, what's the answer to enlightenment or whatever. And, and I, um, this is what I'm trying to remember the answer. So I, and I can't remember <laughs> it's ours with an I, but it, it's about, it's going to come to me while we're talking, but impermanence, impermanence, impermanence was his answer. And okay. as they started talking, um, basically like the idea of impermanence and death is like so scary for everybody, but on the flip of that, there is actually life in impermanence because when things die, new things can, that's where growth happens. Um, and so as you were talking earlier, Seth, about that, um, you know, lean towards whatever your relationship was with death, like that life is actually the other end of the coin and like how interesting that actually is. So I don't know, I, that just came up and I'm throwing it out there in permanence. Yeah. I mean, I don't know the exact quote, but it's, it's something about, you know, a lot of people live, but not a lot of people, or a lot of people die, but not a lot of people live something like that. And I feel that's so true because everybody's just kind of trying to fumble their way through the day. Sometimes just trying to make it to Friday. I'm like, but it's Tuesday. Like you got to live for today and you know, it's like, so my grandma, one of my grandmas, my dad's mom just died a year and a half ago at 79 and I hadn't talked with her for years because she had stopped talking to my dad because he was gay and it had been like 19, 20 years. And so I stopped talking to her, my brother stopped talking to her, but then I had this like inclination. I was like, wait, I had a really good childhood with her. And so I started reaching out to her, but she had moved to North Dakota. And in April, it was still 17 degrees out there. She had a little small window to look out of. It was still cold. She couldn't walk outside, but she was just listening to the birds. So I started sharing pictures with her, and she said, all right, on my 80th birthday, you're going to take me skydiving. And I was like, oh, hell yeah, this is going to be awesome. She died 17 days before I went out to visit her. Oh. Like, you know, I just, I keep telling everybody, you got to live for as much as you can. She just, she gave up. It was basically ultimately what it came down to. She gave up. 
She didn't feel that she had self-worth anymore. She wasn't giving anybody. And she was just done. And like I said, I, I feel like I wasted almost all my 20s is kind of what I feel like. I didn't really start living until I was in my 30s. So when I'm preaching to whoever else that's younger than me, I'm like, you got to live every day. Live as much as you can to whatever extent that is for you. But I'm all about memories. Like, if you check out my Instagram or any of my pictures, like, it's all about living. It's all about getting out and adventuring, uh, experiencing new things. I lead docent hikes for three different companies. I was in the Big Brothers program for four years. I've organized trash pickups for six years. Like, I'm about bringing different walks of life of people together. And that's been me my whole life, even in high school. Like, I, I, I lived in Portland, Oregon for six years. And then I moved to this little podunk town outside of Fresno, uh, Yosemite area. And it was all hicks, all a bunch of country people. And here I come wearing Tommy Hilfiger and Ralph Lauren and polo, shaved head, piercing. Your collars popped. The collars were popped. Backwards <laughs> hat. Yes. I'm a size 30 waist. And I was wearing size 36 and extra large shirts. Um, I was totally emulating Pac and Naughty by Nature and Nos and all that back then. But I was able to bring the jocks, the skaters, the goth, the nerds, the, the prom girls, like everybody together was all my group. I never had, you couldn't call me the skater. You couldn't call me a jock or. And I mean, I played basketball, ran track, and played football. Like, I wasn't a jock, but I also skateboarded. I also snowboarded. I rode mountain bikes. I listened to hip-hop. I loved smoking weed and drinking at the time. So, I mean, I was, like, all over the place. And it's kind of what I like to do now nowadays. Like, my 35th birthday, I had nine friends come together that didn't know each other. And now six of them hang out with each other without me even being there. I'm like, what the hell? Where's my phone call? Yeah. And people together. Yeah, it is. It is really true. Actually, Joaquin, who's been on the podcast a few times this season, um, we just had that conversation and trying to find the balance of, I ask myself almost every single day, like if I were to die tomorrow, would I be happy with the day I'm having today? And it it's hard because a lot of times the answer is no. But if you just <laughs> quit everything you do... <laughs> fuck it all then if you do have a future I'm like did I plan for my future so it's I struggle with that balance of like when when is the risk worth it and so that you allow yourself to live but if you have a future like you're still planning for the future so that's a huge conversation I've been having (laughs) with my dad for a while like so I just left the job of 16 years I had 401k money and if I just was able to pull that 401k money out, I'd be debt-free and I could go travel the United States for months and not have to worry about anything for months. I live for the day. I'm not planning whatsoever for the future. And this, so I mean, that's the big thing he doesn't like. So I ended up adhering to his instruction and I ended up transferring the money over to Charles Schwab account just in case. I make it to 60 because I don't know if I'm going to, I don't know if I can make it to 40. You know, it's like, I just don't know. And I would rather the quality of life today be better than the quality of life then. Like, I figure I'll adapt at, at 60 or 55 or whatever age it's going to be that I make it to. You'll just adapt at that point in time. But I would rather today be the best day that I can. So if I die tomorrow, it's like, what'd you do? Took the dogs for a run, played in my garden, went to work, 
took the dogs for another run, and then went for a mountain bike ride. Sounds like a good day to me. But yeah, you got to figure out that balance. Yeah, and it's an interesting time to be alive with that question because so much is changing so fast. And I mean, even just before every before 2020, it's like the things that my parents were recommending to me in order to set myself up aren't necessarily tried and true, you know, and, and even a few years ago, the things that my dad, I mean, and my dad took, got himself from the projects of New York to living in Cota de Casa, like biomedical engineer has like did it, um, for himself. And, and yet even in the last five years, I've seen him really change the way he's talking about, like, I really pounded this idea into you guys that it needed to be this, this, and this in order, or you're going to, it's going to be fucked up and you're not going to make it. And he's like, and I was wrong. Um, and you know, he still has some ideals that he's like, you know, like he wasn't super thrilled that I bought an RV. (laughs) Um, and that was like, that was me really for the first time in my life. I was sitting there because I always make the responsible decision. I always have an out. I always have a backup plan. I always have the safety net. I always have something. And again, given the state of everything, I'm not making a time, I'm making less money. I mean, I used to say this before that I was making less money than I made right out of college when I was working, when Janelle hired me. But now I am making even <laughs> than that because I'm like in me figuring out what it means to be a life coach whatever I'm not going to defend it um but I'm sitting there like this is an expense I had a house I sold the house I made money on it and I you know you don't you don't buy an RV to be able to resell it I mean it depreciates like what 20 percent the second you drive it off a lot and I said to myself I am willing to buy the experiences that I'm going to have in this thing. And I will never, the longer I wait again, same, like I, I'm at by 45 long-term survivorship for childhood cancer is, you know, 98% of survivors have pretty significant health related issues, some fatal. And so it's like, I'm not going to live into that reality, but you know, it is possible. Like, I don't, I don't know. And, um, either way, what am I waiting for? And I am willing to pay the chunk of money that I was able to put down and the money that I'm paying per month for the experience of it, to walk away from that money, knowing that I paid for experiences of a lifetime. I've already, we've had it for two weeks. We've gone out both weekends and like, I can't, it's just, it's like, I always had it. It feels like a part of me that I was like waiting for some perfect time. And I'm like, it feels like it was, is, was already mine. And so to have lived 37 years without that and now have it, it's like not even a question. Like, how was I even questioning whether this was the right call for me? Um, so anyways, my point was, in the changing of everything um, 
and things changing so fast, it's even like, we gotta, we gotta be more nimble. We gotta be flexible. We gotta be able to evolve quickly and adapt and like meet the moment where it is. Uh, there's in the certification that I'm in right now. I can't remember if I told you this already, Janelle, if I did, I apologize, but, um, well, I don't apologize. So, um, there's when we butt up against challenge or stress or adversity, there's like two locus of controls that people tend towards. One is external, one is internal. And the external is like, you basically don't take responsibility. You blame everything outside of yourself. You are victim. The internal one, you kind of use productivity, decision-making, victory, like you're very victorious (laughs) as a way to like, have a sense of control. She's laughing because I'm raising my hand. Yeah. Uh, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but Mark, Mark Adkinson is the the guy who was doing the lecture and he said, but there, what if there's a third one? And he's like, trusted surrender. And at in trusted surrender, you're finding that edge between taking control and totally letting go. And so, you know, even in your question earlier, Janelle of like, where are you sharing too much versus when do you share? It's like finding that edge for yourself of like, it might, you know, the edge might be, you know, at the 75% mark today and your edge in a week or in an hour might be at the 25% mark, but finding your edge of taking control and letting go, I think is really going to be a huge, a huge part of how we can continue to evolve as a society, as humanity. Um, versus having these really rigid, this is the way that it works. And so we're all just going to try to adhere to it to, because we think we're supposed to. Like, that's just, it's not possible to sustain over the long term. So, yeah. And it takes the internal work. Cause I honestly, one of the reasons why I don't think I share my story is because I haven't done the work, like I said before, to figure it out what it is. So <laughs> it's like people aren't even asked to be like, oh, I don't know. I haven't thought about it. So yeah. Seth, I have a question for you. What you got? How do you live for the day when you're in jail? Just going to go huh. heavy header. Huh. Uh, no, my dog's just, um, <laughs> you it, can decline to answer if you'd like. No, really. no, no. I, I had to think about it for a second. Um, I still talked a lot to everybody. So a lot of the time, um, when when you first get in jail, it's a lot different. Um, so I'll, I'll I'll describe my first day in jail. So um, I go to court, and I was told I was not going to jail. So I parked in a two-hour parking spot, and I got put into jail. And so I ended up going in there with a black guy and a Hispanic guy. And you walk into the jail cell, and there's a bunch of people from different races sitting on tables. And they ask you if you're white, if you're black, or you're other, uh, or if you're a Paisa, but I was not a Paisa. Paisas are straight from Mexico. And so I said, well, I'm, I'm a white guy. So they immediately pull me into the white group. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not white. You know, I'm, I'm an other. I'm, I, I relate to everybody. I don't talk to, I've never been racist. I was never raised racist. And so I quickly learned after about a week of being in there that, uh, I needed to talk to everybody and I have a lot of tattoos and that kind of helps with 
breaking down the, you know, people in jail have shit jail tattoos. And I, every tattoo I have is a meaning for me. I have a bunch of quotes. I got six different languages. So for me, I talked with people about my experience, what brought me there, uh, even when I was there, because I had my mom, uh, my ex-girlfriend was still talking to me at the time. John took care of my dogs, my garden, my finances. So I knew that I had an end. And I think that's what really kept me going was I was given 28 days. And so I said, I can do 28 days. That's nothing. Um, the hard part was when I got threatened a couple times to either get beat up by with a sock party or get stabbed because I wouldn't adhere to the white, the KKK people, basically. But I just, I worked through everything. You have to work in jail. So I worked harder than everybody else and they didn't like it. And so the boss was like, you, you know, if you keep working this hard, you're going to piss people off. And I'm like, you want me to work less? He's like, no. I'm like, so you're basically putting me in a position where I'm going to get threatened now, which I did. Um, but I just, I talked to people. I journaled while I was in there. Luckily, we were able to have iPads. So I watched a lot of skateboarding, snowboarding videos. I had like five people over my shoulders the whole time. I had a few people draw me out some tattoo possibilities. I listened to music and I just kind of reflected and, and read books. Um, so I, I made the best of the time that I had. I, I didn't think it was a vacation by any means, but I wasn't used to stopping. And that was the first stopping standpoint I'd had in 10 years. You're, you're forced to stop. I, I only got to go outside two times in 15 days, and that really hurt. I couldn't see sunlight the whole time. Um, it's never dark in there. The food is fucking horrible. I lost 17 pounds. Um, but I still, I just maintain with, this isn't the end. This, your mistakes do not define you. And that has been a big saying I say to myself a lot. Yeah, I screwed up. I screwed up a bunch. But my mistakes aren't me. Like, I'm, I'm a good person. I know I'm a good person. I'm finally good with saying that I'm happy with who Seth is now. Uh, Seth at 19, I'm embarrassed to say a lot of the shit that I fucking did back then. I did a lot of stupid crap. So, and I still have a lot of friends that I talk to 20 years later that that's how they remember me as the Seth from 1999 and 2000. And they're like, you remember when you did this? You remember when you did I'm like, yeah, it was, you know, I, I remember, but we don't talk about that anymore. So, yeah. I talked with guards. I talked with people. I, I did everything I could to stay afloat and keep myself up. Are you still connected with any of the people that are? From jail? Mm-hmm. Not at all. Not at all. Not at all. I had, a, I had a few people follow me on Instagram and email me a few times. And they've all fallen off. And there was no one there that I was ready to start a friendship with. Because for them, they weren't ready themselves. They're all still stuck in that jail life. I bet you four out of five people that I was in jail with have already reoffended. Um, that's just their lifestyle. Like one of the guys, he was 27. He had only spent 16 days of his adult life outside of jail. Wow. But we had phenomenal conversations while we were in jail. But he's not someone that I would ever go, hey, let's go have a beer with. Let's, ever, let's go for a hike. You know, because he's just, he's not ready yet. And if he's ready, he knows where I'm at. So what kind of support exists in there for people? 
support. Yeah, I mean, in jail. So the reason I ask is because my cousin, my cousin is a, um, I don't know what her actual title. She has a PhD in. She's not a therapist, but she, I don't, I can't remember what her title is, but she's something in in the therapy field at Folsom Prison. Um, she's smaller than me. Um, she will not talk about it. And, um, yeah, it's just, and, and I mean, the power of com of a conversation, the power of being able to talk to people. That's why I asked, like, what is there for people? There's, there's nothing. Um, they say it's for rehabilitation for people in jail. There's, there's no rehabilitation at all. Um, they have church on Sundays, which I'm not, I don't believe in that stuff, but they have church in, in Salinas, where I was at, or Monterey, whatever you want to call it. There's 980 inmates in there, and there's only room for 25 people to go to church. And you're, you're picked and chosen, and it's usually if you're one of the longtime offenders. Uh, most of it's, it's, like, I'll put it this way. I will never go to a zoo again for the rest of my life because in jail, you are behind all these glass windows and there's people with clipboards that walk by you and they're always constantly evaluating or judging or writing down things. I felt like I was in a zoo. And I just, I don't feel there's, rehab I mean, the judges, or the, not the judges, the correction officers looked down on you. You're always the bad guy. You never did anything right, no matter what, even if you're in there for a DUI that was 27 years old, like my bunkmate, um, you're, you're still a bad, you're a bad person. I just, I don't feel in California, maybe it's different in other states. There is no rehabilitation. Uh, even if you're allowed to go to school, you're still just a number. Um, I, I don't really have any good experiences from jail at all. Uh, and I've been unfortunately five times in my life and I just, I don't, I've never learned anything good from there. You, you learn more bad. You learn how to get away with more things um, from people. Wow. So, I mean, like it was, and it was heartbreaking. My first time ever in jail, I was 19, it was 2000. And uh, my mom lived in Colorado at the time and she came to see me in jail and I was behind the courtroom, shaved head uh, or unshaven face, shaved head and in an orange jumpsuit, and at the time, I didn't care, because I was like, if I'm 19, I'm like, I'm Pac, I'm like, come on, I'm Pac, I'm DMX, like, I'm living that life, and then I saw my mom cry, and it was like, shit, like, this isn't just affecting me, this is affecting my family, and that was a major turning point for me, so I hadn't gotten in trouble for 18, 19 years, and I did really, really good to keep that life up because I knew what the other side was of getting in trouble and affecting other people. And so when I got in trouble in 2018, I didn't have my dog yet. But when I finally got sentenced in 2019, I had my dog. And all I thought about almost 95% of the time, I just want to get back and cuddle my dog and play in my garden. And so that, that's, those two, two things really kept me going as well. I just knew that there was more out there for me and this wasn't the end. Um, so I was able to make it out and, and, you know, every day he's been the dog, like he gets to walk every morning and every night. Um, I play in the garden for about 45 minutes to an hour a day and I work. Uh, I'm working on growing my business. 
um, naming pictures, just just staying focused is a big thing. Just knowing that you, I have more to offer other people. Yeah, what you said about like remembering that you aren't the things that you've done is like, I, I mean, for anyone, I feel like that is such a, you're not the things that have happened to you. You're not the things like that you've done. You're not, that, that is, it seems simple, but it's not. Um, and to, and to not just have it as a concept, but to actually know it in your heart um, is pretty powerful. Yeah, I, I know it. I know it now. Um, my therapist kind of helped push it into me, but I, I, I knew it beforehand. I made a comment to him last year and I said, you know, I'm just, I'm not really where I want to be in life. And he's like, wait, wait, wait. I, I work for five companies. I volunteer for four others. I'm really known in this community. And he looks at me and he's like, wait, 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 wait. You're not where you want to be at. You might not be where you want to be at, but you're where, at, where you are where you're supposed to be at. And ever since he said that, I was like, oh, shit. Like, do I want to start over and go to Colorado or Utah or Minnesota? Do I? Right now, no. Not yet. I mean, I still have more to put together here. And, and then maybe I'll branch out because I kind of want to chase the seasons is what, I, is what I'm looking to do. Um, you know, I'd love to go to Minnesota, go to Duluth, Lutzen area for four months, and then go down to Page, Arizona for a few months, go up to Portland, Bend area. Come back to Cali. I just I want to chase seasons and enjoy every day I have. So I'm trying to figure out how I can do that in the next five years is my goal. So cool. It's interesting because I feel like there's a there's a balance if we tie it all together between you're not what you've done, you're not your experiences, you're not what's happened to you, and you're not your story, but you yet you honor it. I, I, I always think that's so interesting because I think we can get really wrapped up and like we are our story, but at the same time, we're not. I, I'm at like question mark. <laughs> my, my, my past has always haunted me uh, because <clears throat> like when I had to get a job for so many years, I had to click, yes, I'm a convicted felon. And so that was a really, really hard thing to get over. Um, but I'm not, a, I'm not a convicted felon in my head. Like, I'm, I've never been to prison. I was never sentenced to jail in my entire life until this last year. I just had to do probation my whole entire time. Um, but my story is who I am today. Like, I will not diminish that whatsoever. I've, I've lived a good life. Uh, you know, I get asked all the time, like, you must have had a bad childhood. I'm like, nope. I had a great childhood. Like, I have so many phenomenal memories. My parents never treated me bad. I mean, like, yeah, I got spanked, but back then everybody got spanked. Now it's like a child endangerment charge or some crap. But no, I mean, I, my story is who I am, but I'm, I'm not that person. I'm not a troublemaker. I, I'm a person that's willing to help anybody out there. I'll give you the back off shirt off the back. I pick up trash all the time. I help homeless people. Like for me, it's, it's just giving back. And maybe that has to do with the wrong that I've done in my life that I just want to be that helpful person. I, I even feel like yesterday when I got in that crash, uh, I'm not a person to ask for help at all. I, I, will, I refuse to ask for help because I feel that's kind of like, lo not lowering my standards, but that's, I don't like asking for help. And 
every day I ride my bike, I see another cyclist with a flat tire or it's on the side of the road or someone that's walking. And I say, are you good? Are you good? Is there anything I can help you out with? And so I feel like yesterday was my kind of my karma payback of, all right, we know you're not good because I can see it in your face, but I knew I was good. It was going to take me some time. So getting that ride was like kind of, I, I kind of felt like a little bit low because I had to get a ride. But at the same time, I was like, this person's willing to go out of their way to help me. And that just kind of reassured me to help people just as much. I say, Seth, you would do that for anybody, so. <laughs> well, yeah, and it does feel good to be able to help people, not because they are deficited, but because we're all in this together. And so, that, you know, to give somebody that gift of being able to, to be there for you, again, not because you're, like, incapable, um, and, and maybe there's aspects that are, but it's like giving somebody that gift of being able to support. Um, I had an interaction at work this morning that just took me down. And I'm usually the person at work that holds the space for everybody. And, you know, you can pretty much tell me anything. And um, I, I know how to just listen and not take it on and, uh, really love, love people, not in like an overly like, um, toxic positivity way, but, um, and because I've kind of fallen into that role, I sometimes forget that I can break down too. And this morning I just, I was, I just couldn't stop crying. And I was saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And then I was just like, stop it. Like these people want to be here for you. Like this is, you know what it feels like to be able to hold a space for somebody. Let, like this is a mutually beneficial thing. They would not be here if they didn't want to be here with you. And they're not here because they think you can't handle it. Like just let allow. And then I just kind of like, uh, it just like all came out. I let myself be energetically held and hugged because of COVID. But um, like it was, they... They, and then they said, thank you. Like, thank you for being that real that you were able to, like, that's, that's human. Um, it's good to do that. It is. I was going to say, I had this thought of like, we, we are like the keepers of the situation, like of uh, this slice of life in this vessel. And like, honoring this story is like honoring that specific nuanced life that came to came to be that you happen to be the keeper of and so like recognizing that you know you aren't that and you get to honor it and hold it and that ability to almost like it's its own novel and like um and allowing that, that honoring of that slice of life to exist is the makeup of all life. You know, we each get to own a different aspect of the collective that is all the aspects of what life could be in this tangible form. And so um, there is like a sweetness to that for me of like, I am not this, this story and the things that have happened to me, but I get to honor it and I get to, to hold it. Um, 
you know, lovingly or however you want to, um, because it is a life and it is life. And yeah, I don't know. There, that just came to me as I was um, sitting on the toilet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was like, it's like, I, cause I walked past my bookshelf. So I was just like, Oh my, it's like this beautiful thing that you get to like, you know, like blow off the dust on it. If we yeah. forget to tell it and there's yeah, lots of relatability in it, even though the form might be different. So. Totally awesome. Favorite quotes I wrote down that kind of pertains to that is do the best you can until you know better. Then when you know better, do better, my Angelou. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. I appreciate the the novel analogy. Rachel, you and I have even talked about the like what's your next chapter? What does that look like? And Seth, you had mentioned even your time in jail sometimes when you're in a lower point. Like I've asked myself, especially this year, because it has been a harder year. Sometimes it's just like, well, what is the point? Like, what, what is there to look forward to? Like, where does the hope come from? Um, and for me, one of the analogies that has gotten me through is like, this is just a chapter and there'll be another chapter. And there might be a couple of shitty chapters because I feel like I just got through one and I was like, new chapter. And then it was like, another shitty chapter. <laughs> like, this chapter might be short though. I mean, it might be long, but so like the, the hope element of the novel and the chapters and just acknowledging and, and realizing that things can change just by engaging in life. Like there's that hope that even if today sucks, like if you get up tomorrow, somebody might change. And there's also choice. My biggest change was just being happy with who I was. And I feel like that makes every day, I mean, yeah, I mean, today sucked a little bit at work. Like I felt very humbled and I'm, I'm not able to do my job as well as I've done jobs in the past. I'm not learning as quickly as I would like to, which bums me out. And I can see it very obviously written on my boss's face that you're not doing as good as I thought you were going to do that quickly in this aspect. And that hurts. That sucks. But ultimately, like, that's just a few hours of the day. Like, that's not the end. I got the dogs. I got the garden. I got a bike ride. I got work stuff to do when I get home. Like, I have the podcast due tonight. So, like, I just focus on each day and stay happy with me. Like, if I get down at all, like, like, why am I single? You know, why? What's going on here? That stuff, that'll, that'll get you down if you let it. But I'm just... I'm good. I think talking with people helps combat all of that. Um, and I'm in DUI classes right now. I get to talk and with the two hour class and I'm in there with 19 people. And I would say that I've talked for 40 to 45 minutes of that two hours because no one wants to talk. And I'm like, why am I looking at a screen of people that no one wants to talk or, you know, like the counselor asks a question and it's just like this. And I'd rather, I'd rather talk and try to share the experience. So my counselor kind of called me out of the blue today and she's like, I just want to thank you for engaging in the classroom. And I was like, you're, you're, I don't know. What do you want me to say? Thank you. You're welcome. I don't know. So uh, I think that helps a lot of it. Like I just won't let myself get down again. Cause if I do, I picture myself at that end of that cliff. I, I picture myself, you know, driving too fast. 
it's one of the reasons why I won't let myself get a motorcycle still to this day because I know that it's just right there. It's just one mistake waiting to happen. And I don't, my mom, so here's a funny, not funny, but my mom is just getting ready to turn 60. My brother's a cop. He was in the military and she knows that she's going to bury both of her sons before she dies. She feels she's going to be a hundred years old with an 18 year old lover is what her joke is. But if I say the same thing to my dad, he's like, I'm not going to fucking bury both my kids. Are you kidding me? I'm like, but we live life every day. Like my brother could be shot. My brother could get in a car crash. And I like to take pictures on the edge of the cliff or go skydiving or snowboarding or, you know, mountain biking at 52 miles an hour. Like I live life. So if I do die, just know that I lived the best life that I had. And so I, I think that's the different like correlations between my, my parents is my mom's like, cool. I hope you enjoyed it. My dad's like, you're a selfish asshole. <laughs> I, I kind of to go full circle to Janelle, what you said at the beginning of like, I can't remember exactly what, but there was a version of it. When I lived in Milwaukee, I had this like intense conversation with my boyfriend of like, I didn't feel like I was really living fully. And I was just like, if I die tomorrow, I will be so fucking pissed with how I live my life. Like I'll be pissed because there's so much more that I could have done. And I, I just, I was wrestling with it so hardcore and I'd be like, don't you feel that? And he'd be like, no, I really like the life that I have. Like, yeah, there are things that could be better and there are things, but, and I would, I just like, ah, and I, you know, it's funny because I was trying to find the things outside of myself that would represent me feeling like this life that I'm living is like a me, you know, this is it. I feel great. Um, and I, I actually, I recognize living in Dallas, which is funny. Um, you know, probably a year ago, I, I turned to Dylan and I said, remember when we had those like fierce conversations? Cause I'm a fighter. And, uh, I was like, if I died, I would, I would be proud of what I'm doing. I'd be proud of who, who I am. And I think that is actually, that is it, is that I'm proud of the, how I'm showing up, who I am being. And it's not about, like, I didn't care that I was in Dallas. It wasn't about that. It's, I like who I am. Um, and so that's kind of interesting. I hadn't really, I had kind of, a, I had still been in the mindset until this conversation that the reason that I was feeling like I could die and be okay with it was because of the life I had created for myself and the things that I was getting up to. But it is actually because I really like who I am and the rest of it just seems to kind of, not that it's all perfect or anything, but it Mm -hmm. kind of just settles into place a little bit when, yeah, when that is, when that feels good. Absolutely. Man, I fucking love what I love this. Like, I'm just like so grateful. So grateful. Yeah. Next question you got. <laughs> <laughs> I, Rachel, do you have to go? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'll save. I have a question, but it's not related to this conversation at all. It's about being a graveyard attendant, a ghost. So we'll talk about that <laughs> oh. some other time. <laughs> We're having you back on is what that means. <laughs> or or we'll talk about it next week when we go. Do you know do you know that Janelle is obsessed with ghosts? 
kind of, we've talked about it. <laughs> I don't know about assess, but I, we've talked about it. Do you, oh gosh, okay, it is a rabbit hole and- No, we won't go there. We'll talk okay. about it next time. <laughs> well, uh, we're driving into Santa Barbara. Down, like, we... down. <laughs> Save it. Seth. Yeah. In one word, how do you live your true north? Nature. Love it. And if people want to get a hold of you to continue the conversation, if they want to hike with you, if they want to go on a backpacking trip with you to get some new clientele for your business, how can they get a hold of you? Uh, getmovingadventures.com is my website and adventures with Seth is my Instagram handle. We'll keep you alive. I made it through my first backpacking trip. So yep, you sure did. Good job. <laughs> That's my review. He will keep you alive and tell you the flowers. <laughs> Are you going to be doing, um, backpacking and hiking and nature things beyond California. Is that why you're saying the four seasons? Yeah. Yep. Sweet. Yep. Dude, yep. Duluth loots in. I, I, used to, I used to live up in Minnesota, so it's beautiful. Oh yeah. No, Grand Marais, Lutzen, yep. Oh yeah. Superior, Wisconsin. Yeah. I'm, I'm that whole area. I love it. Oh, so cool. Yay. I love what you're doing. It's so Thank good. You. Yeah. Nice talking to you. Yeah, thanks for coming on, Seth. You too. Thanks for sharing. And Yep. This has been another episode of the True North Collective podcast. For more from Rachel and I, check us out on the gram at the True North Collective underscore. And if you liked what you heard, please consider leaving us a review wherever you are listening to this podcast. Until next time. <laughs>